All right, guys, welcome back to Wide Awake News Radio. I'm your host, Charlie McGrath. We have about 100 people in the chat room. If you want to join them, go to wideawakenews.com, jump into the chat room. We have about 75 watching on Justin TV. Um, as I announced earlier, Stefan Molyneux is uh, joining me now, and, and he was uh, ju- I just got him on, uh, on Skype, and he was just telling me he was on the Peter Schiff program. I want to hear uh, more about that because I can imagine that a debate uh, ensued. And uh, I've watched, especially since the last time uh, Stefan was on the program, multiple debates uh, that are out there with Stefan. And uh, maybe I'm biased, but I'm always uh, I'm always picking uh, his side as the victor in it. Um, I, now, at, at the beginning of the first hour, guys, I told you that, that I had a few stories that I wanted to cover with Stefan. Um, mainly what caught my attention this morning was we had Michael uh, Sheehan, the assistant secretary of defense, going to Congress talking about the need for expanding the Department of uh, Defense uh, ability to wage war around planet Earth. You know, the, the, uh, the, the uh, shtick that he was presenting to Congress was, we're drawing down troops in Afghanistan, we're drawing down troops in Iraq, and we want to uh, redeploy some of these special operators to uh, continents that we are not currently uh, engaged in in a non-covert manner. Now, in fact, we've been in Africa going after, I'm doing air quotes for those of you who can see or can't see me, going after Kony in Africa since uh, October. Uh, and, you know, we, we are supposed to be afraid of the next Al-Qaeda-South America connection. So we need to free up the ability for the Department of Defense to wage war on countries around this planet in a covert manner. So they got to have this latitude and they have to have the indefinite funding so we can propagate, propagate Empire America. And all of this is being done. In our name, at least if uh, if you're listening to me in the United States right now, and, and in a large portion, uh, even if you're listening to us in Canada right now, these uh, these events are being done in our name. Now, uh, earlier when I was talking or sending messages back and forth with Stefan, giving him uh, ideas of the topics, uh, besides his awesomeness, which we decided we didn't have enough time to talk about tonight, he wanted to talk about the collaboration uh, between the United States, Canada, and Mexico, and. Uh, I pulled a story on that, and I want to get uh, your take on this, of course, Stefan. But it seems that you know what once seemed to be the North American Union type uh, uh, dialogue that was uh, in alternative media kind of faded away. Well, it's back, uh, and it's in full effect once again. Calderon, uh, uh, Obama, and uh, Harper all uh, deciding to meet, get together, talk about expanding uh, economic ties between uh, the nations, and most importantly, I take from this Huffington Post article is the fact that they want to uh, get into uh, securing the borders jointly. Now, we, we've seen the absolute destruction of liberty in, inside the United States since 9-11. The introduction of the Patriot Act, Na- National Defense Authorization Act 2012, illegal to protest, uh, a redress of your grievances is now a federal crime. The control apparatus is being set in motion to make every citizen one citizen under one government rule, one authoritarian government rule. You know, that might sound conspiratorial, but the proof is most certainly uh, in the pudding. All right, let's bring on our guest. Uh, we have uh, uh, Stefan Molyneux, great, famous, free, free domain radio host and debater extraordinaire. Recently, Peter Schiff. Stefan, welcome back to the program. How did it go against Mr. Schiff today? Well, I, I wouldn't say that it was against him. Okay. Uh, he definitely is a very skilled, intelligent uh, conversationalist and debater, and I really enjoyed the interaction. Uh, I was uh, sweating at least from one armpit by the time we were done. Uh, he's uh, he's very smart, and, and uh, as he said on the show when he introduced me, that it was rare for him 
to be facing somebody on his show who was complaining that he was into too much government. Uh, but that, of course, was, was my position. And I thought he did a great job of presenting the minarchist position. Uh, I, you know, in, in 20 minutes with commercial breaks, got you down to about 15 minutes with interruptions, uh, down to about eight seconds. You can't <laughs> present an open and shut case, but you can at least put forward some arguments that might get people to start thinking. And I I, I really enjoyed the interaction. I hope that we can do it again. And, um, uh, you know, he he'd suggested a couple of topics which I did some research on, but we just got consumed up by this conversation about um, uh, minarchism and anarchism. And uh, I hope that uh, I hope his audience appreciated it. It's probably something they've not heard of a lot of before. Uh, and uh, I thought he acquitted himself, you know, with with honor and dignity and great skill. So it was really enjoyable. You know, he he's had a, a long career, especially since 2008, the financial uh, meltdown. Uh, and before that, even uh, playing the opposition view on the mainstream business channels. So, he, I mean, he's got vast experience when it comes to being uh, uh, in a combative situation, not to say that your guys' was at all. Uh, and no, I'll... but he had, he had some good concessions. So the first thing he conceded was that there's no government in history that has ever stayed within the bounds of its original intent. So that's zero out of a thousand governments throughout history have ever been restrained. So that, I think, was a good point. And secondly, he said that given a choice between the society that I was talking about, which is, you know, a stateless society, and the existing American society, he would choose a stateless society. So I consider that, you know, but he's still, you know, he's in the desert heading towards the mirage of a constitutionally limited government, the great, you know, where Harry Brown's bones are slowly bleaching in, in the sunlight, you know, because there's this this fantasy that somehow you can design a system that is going to overcome people's desire for power, a monopoly on violence, a hierarchical oligarchy, uh, oligarchy all of these things can somehow be designed so that you can contain the potential for human evil. Uh, it's To me, it's a complete fantasy. It's like opening up an airborne virus and then trying to grab it with a butterfly net. It's just never going to what, work what other is, than to I continue mean, to spread it. What, what is, you know, in, in, you know you're a historian uh, um, and you're very educated in governments throughout history. What is the average span uh, of a government, be it is a, a, call, a so-called democracy or republic? How long do they last before they implode under their own hubris and their own expansion and uh, grab for power? It's a couple of hundred years, Max, and that is... Um, I mean, it really depends. How long did the American Republic last? Well, uh, I would argue uh, it lasted about as long as it took for the ink to dry on the the, the Congress, uh, on the uh, the uh, Constitution, mm-hmm. because the Constitution was hidden from the main the, the view. Uh, people weren't told what was in it. It was all held in secret, and then it was just imposed through force. Bah! <laughs> That's really not what we were talking about. Consent of the governed. Uh, so, and you know, uh, Lysander Spooner has the Constitution of No Authority, read by the great Mark Stevens, uh, is out there on the internet for people who want more about this. These arguments have been known for for many, many years. Um, so, but even if we say the Republic had some intent, you know, you could argue if you exclude no rights for women, no rights for children, and a whole lot of slavery, and of course, uh, significant genocides against the domestic uh, population called the Native Americans. You could say 70 or 80 years until the Civil War, the expansion of the the federal government, the uh, Antitrust Act, the Federal Reserve, and then the slow degenerative Roman-style calamity we've had rolling down the hill towards us in this big boulder of historical inevitability coming to crush <laughs> the tender little teepees of freedom. It, one metaphor too much. Let me scale that back. <laughs> I went a little too far. No, no, no. Keep out. running with it. I, I, you I, take a run at the audience and you fall off the stage. <laughs> but um, uh, Well, it, it uh, just, it harkened back. Listen, listen to you speak. It harkened back to one of the, I, matter of fact, uh, I tried to get early tonight before the broadcast because for the JTV crowd who showed up early, I wanted to play your debate with uh, Jake uh, Deliberto, 
that you had on RT, oh, yeah, yeah. and it, it was brilliant. I mean, you know, I, Deliberto isn't a, a dyed-in-the-wool neocon by any stretch of the mean, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but you know, I, I, I've got to I've got to be honest. You know, I, I would probably say that that my own ideology would line up more uh, four or five years ago, most certainly, with Deliberto or Schiff. And as sure. I sit here tonight, after you know a couple years of uh, of uh, YouTube video commentary and and over a year on this uh, program, speaking to more and more people and looking at history and how it's unfolded, I, I have to fall in line with it doesn't work. You there? Oh, it, I would love for the minarchist position. It would be so much easier. I mean, uh, Peter did point out in the show today. He said it's a. I think the nicest way he put it was it's a hell of a lot harder to argue the anarchist position than it is to argue the minarchist position. And I think that's true. Um, and it's easier to keep smoking than to quit smoking. That doesn't mean that we should keep smoking, right? I mean, the fact that something's hotter doesn't, you know, the, the, the point isn't whether it's hot or easy, but whether it's true and whether it's effective. And of course, the minarchist arguments have been made for hundreds of years, hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. uh, you could really argue thousands if you go back to some of the self-limiting ideas in democracy that were put forward by Aristotle and the not at all limited ideas of a dictatorship that were put forward by Plato. But certainly since the mid-17th, uh, mid, certainly since the mid-18th century, uh, the arguments for a restrained government have been very common. Classical liberalism 150 years ago, you've got uh, Libertarian Party about 40 years old. These arguments have been used repeatedly and massively ineffectively. So uh, it's, it's sort of like if somebody's uh, um, uh, heading towards uh, a cliff and says, well, no, it's downhill here. I still don't want to run in that direction, even if it's a little easier, if it's not going to work. Right. And, and it is a matter of uh, I think there's a lot of people that that share your point of view or would lean towards your point of view or, or you know, what we're talking about tonight. But even people like Peter Schiff or Ron Paul, they, they really do have to uh, temper what they're going to say because they're afraid of how it's going to be uh, understood, you know, and how it's going to affect uh, the support that they have. You know, I we've been talking about that a little bit on the program lately that. You know, we're, there's a lot of self-censoring going on. You, you know, you no one's ever going to accuse uh, Stefan Molyneux of self-censoring. You're going to say what you believe, <laughs> plain and simple. Um, but there is a lot of self-censoring going on. But maybe that's maybe that's a, a a real negative. You know, maybe that's what's holding us back is we're not really uh, willing to step forward and say, look. What, what are we going to go to? What, what, are we going to get rid of the Federal Reserve, but we're going to, uh, you know, keep this uh, this centralized government in Washington D.C. and we're going to keep, you know, the, this uh, idea of a, a constitutional republic, or yeah. will we just end up right back where we are uh, inside of you know a couple decades? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt historically that's what happens, and the example of America is the most bone-chilling example of a tiny speck growing to something which blots out half the sky. You know, designed to be the very smallest government in history, it has grown to be the very largest government in history. If that doesn't give a minarchist pause, then he's simply ignoring the basic facts and being irresponsible to the truth requirements of the position. And um, I don't mean sort of on first hearing the argument. I mean, it takes time. It took me like 20 years. So I have a lot of patience for people who've never been exposed to the arguments. But I, you know, I, and, I, and I can understand that. Sorry, I, I, can, I can definitely understand it taking uh, so, some true soul searching, right? You got to give yeah. up. I mean, first you got to wake up and realize there is no left, there's no right, there's no, you know, conservative Republican. It, it's all a sham. You're all. Uh, being placated to to pigeonhole you to to make uh, uh, enemies for yourself so you can argue amongst yourselves while truly the despots uh, run the roost. 
you, you have to get past that and then start to expose yourself to things that are not necessarily uh, easy to uh, believe and easy to absorb and easy to realize. And particularly, you know, uh, if you've been a public figure, Charlie, it's really tough because what ha I was very aware of this at the very beginning, uh, which is that your audience kind of becomes your quicksand, you know, like so if you go with the minarchist thing and then you you gather a reputation and an audience and advertisers and a presence in the world that is entirely based upon minarchism. It's really tough to reinvent yourself because you know you're going to lose a lot of your audience, which you've spent a lot of time to to build up. That's a great point. And so it's really tough to divorce yourself from that particular perspective because you know that you're going to go wander off into the you know the black night of of voluntarism, and who knows how many people are going to follow you, and is that the end of your career? And you know, a lot of people in the public life they get really they really like that public thing, and. Yeah. It's the same thing where people have taken a particular attitude towards religion or an avoidance of religious topics. Then they're like, oh, you know, if I take a stand, oh, what's going to happen to everything I've built up for so many years in, in my sort of media presence? I was from the very beginning. I'm like, if I can't make it with the most honest and, and clear and rational and empirical arguments that I can conceivably come up with, if I can't make it doing that, then I don't want it. And now... I mean, I don't claim any sort of magical integrity. That was because I was never planning on doing this for a career. So I had that luxury of it being a hobby and therefore it could be uh, undiluted. It could be pure. Uh, the fact that it's turned into something more than a hobby, of course, I'm entirely grateful to the listeners for their support of that. But I was in a very fortunate position to never even imagine that it was going to be something that I was going to do for, for my gig, so to speak. Right. And so I could start that way. And it's a lot easier for me to stay that way. In fact, if I were to suddenly wake up tomorrow as a socialist minarchist uh, or some left libertarian uh, hippie joint, uh, <laughs> it would be very tough for people to follow me over there, I guess, unless I made really good arguments, I suppose. Well, I'm sure you would because you, you certainly have a fan base. As a matter of fact, uh, I know a lot of the ladies in the chat room right now. You know, I received, ah. yeah. <laughs> especially the last time you were on, you, you shot the video. I'm assuming you're doing the same thing now, and you had a little scruffy beard uh, going on there. And Oh, I yeah. love that beard. I really did. But uh, unfortunately, the ladies in my household, starting with the three-year-old, uh, found it entirely not pleasant to cuddle with the spiky cactus head. So I'm afraid that has gone the way of the dodo. Maybe it'll come back, but uh, I, I really, I used, I had a beard for a lot in my 20s, and I really like it. But um, yeah, it, uh, it didn't, it did not last the, uh, the estrogen vote. <laughs> well, uh, but back to your point, <clears throat> staying true to your message. I, I you know what? I, I'm a very small factor in alternative media. I, you know, I, I might have, uh, you know, 10 to, to 50,000 views on a video and a couple thousand people listening right now. But, you know, what? I, I, I absolutely can relate to with what you're saying, because if I step outside of a mold and you know what, this all, like it or not, a lot of this alternative media was created because of the collapse in 2008 and the gold rush, the silver rush, the fiat currency, uh, admitting fiat currency was uh, about to blow up in our face. And so there is people like Peter Schiff, like uh, uh, Ron Paul, that you, that is your core uh, audience. These are people that, that follow this and believe what these guys are saying to be absolutely the only true and right path. Uh, for us to go on, and if you step outside of that, man, you're you're going to get slapped. But, but I believe that the the integrity you you have by sticking to your message, um, is the most important aspect of Stefan Molyneux because it doesn't matter. You you're going to get what you believe, and this is how you back it up with your uh, arguments. A lot of times, brilliant arguments, and like it or not, accept it or not, uh, you're going to get that same consistent message. 
And I believe that is what's missing, not only in alternative media, but mainstream media, but in general, in society in general, accepting reality, forgetting the uh, perceived reality, forgetting what's uh, happened in the past. This is where we are, 2012, United States, Canada, the world on the brink. If we don't wake up and accept this reality and look at real changing solutions, then it's it's going to be all for naught, Stefan. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a very powerful aspect to what we're doing that we are close to the end game and we better damn well make our voices heard now because if people mistake the calamities engulfing our societies in the west if they mistake that for the results of freedom then we are truly doomed right. and we may descend into a night of tyranny from which there may be no dawn and that sounds dramatic but the technology of human control uh, and the technology of of human tracking the technology of human Surveillance is so advanced now that I'm not sure I can really imagine how we could fight our way back to freedom. It's one thing to go up a bunch against a bunch of redcoats uh, in, in 1776. It's quite another thing to try and take on a government that has drones and spy satellites and uh, you know heat-seeking missiles and biological warfare and uh, nuclear weapons. The, the disproportionate power violent power of the state relative to the citizens has become so great that I do fear that if we fall off the edge of the cliff, it will be the forever fall. And I don't see where we would conceivably bounce. So I think that the message that we need to get out there, that it is not freedom that has failed, it is force that has failed and force will forever fail, then uh, we can tell people, we can reveal to people that there are, of course, only two classes in the world. There is a class of people who profit from violence and there's the class of people who are victimized through violence. And it's not a rich-poor thing. It's not a black-white thing. It's not a man-woman thing. Uh, it is simply those who par profit from the sword and those who bend before the sword and, and pay off the sword wielder to scrape out another day or two of life. Those are the only two classes. Um, and if we can get people to understand that where the real battle is, it's not rich or poor, it's the use of force. Uh, versus the non-use of force. It's the profiting from violence or the falling down before violence. Those are the only two classes that we need to concern ourselves with. But as long as they can keep setting the 99% against the 1%, I mean, what a bunch of nonsense. Right. There are far more people profiting from the sword than 1%. Public sector unions, uh, old age pensioners, uh, people uh, who have not taken care of their health, who fall upon the general purse, uh, you know, 70 to 80% of all health problems that are chronic and, and expensive are preventable as the result of lifestyle choices. Well, I don't see why if I've spent half my life sweating out in the basement to, on, a, on a treadmill, why I got to pay for somebody who sat on the uh, couch eating Cheetos. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, and so there's just, you know, we, we've got to get that basic thing. Sorry, uh, end of rant. I no, 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 go on. Show, I, but, no, uh, I could listen to you all night. Run with it. I mean, I, but I agree. And, you know, I, I put out a commentary video here a week or so back. Uh, where I showed, you know, the top 10 uh, military industrial complex, you know, we, we've, we've spent billions of dollars on, but in this top 10 list, there's 600,000 people that work for these uh, corporations that, you know, this is the, the class that is never going to accept the truth, the reality, and they are truly benefiting uh, from uh, us waging a war uh, on planet Earth. And, and so you're right. I mean, it has to be a self-awakening because I do believe that, you know, there's a lot of talk about mine 2012, a lot of talk about, uh, you know, extinction level events. And unfortunately, I truly believe that the extinction level event that is coming, if it is coming or near extinction level event, is going to be man 
hubris man against man, violence against uh, uh, man against man violence, that because of the technological age we, li- we live in, uh, we truly could have a Georgia Guidestone moment where we go from seven, uh, 7 billion people to 500 million in a very short period of time. Let's talk about the um, this merger thing, because I do find it quite interesting, the degree to which these sharks are circling this merger, uh, the, um, Very good. the three Let- leaders of... Yeah, can sorry, you did you have, do we have a break? Yeah, on? we do. We got one uh, going here, and that's that's perfect. I wanted to jump into that on the backside of the break. We did spend that half time, uh, half uh, segment there philosophizing. So we're going to be back with Stefan Malanu of Free Domain Radio and Stefbot on YouTube, and more Wide Awake News. Hang tight. We'll be back in five and a half minutes. All right, guys, welcome back to Wide Awake News Radio. My name is Charlie McGrath. If you're not in the chat room, wideawakenews.com. You can post questions or comments in there for myself or for Stefan and his website. Uh, is Free Domain Radio. I don't know if you have another one, Stefan, for me to give out, uh, but Free Domain Radio, you can find all of his books and all of uh, his scheduling for his radio program. Why don't you tell us where you're speaking, uh, your next speaking engagements are coming up. Sure. Um, I'm going to be speaking at Freedom Fest in Las Vegas. Very with cool. Some when is this? Speakers. Uh, that's in July, I think it is. Uh, I'll be at, uh, I got an uh, opening speech at uh, the Porcupine Freedom Festival in Lancaster, Lancashire, Lancashire, New Hampshire, uh, in July, uh, in June, and I will be in Vancouver in July um, for Capitalism and Morality. I'm going to give a two-and-a-half-hour lecture on secular ethics. Oh, can you just feel the excitement already? I promise it's going to be great. I'm going to use audience members to demonstrate ethical theories. Uh, I'm going to be emceeing Libertopia in San Diego in October, and then I'm going um, on the Liberty Cruise, second annual Liberty Cruise with... um, uh, Mark Edge and West Bertrand, Mark Edge of Free Talk Live and West Bertrand of Complete Liberty. And I'm sure there's a couple other things that will pop up uh, in there, but uh, that's the summer whirlwind philosophy touchdown tour. Well, I'm very, and I told you during the break, I'm, I'm very uh, uh, happy to see this success coming your way because it's very well earned. I, I'm going to keep in touch with you after the program uh, via email on the July uh, Las Vegas uh, event because you know that's that's pretty close to me uh, in maybe even Vancouver. Just uh, freedomfest.com. You can uh, you can check if you're at a computer. Mine's mine's down by my feet, but if okay. you want to check it out, it's uh, freedomfest.com. And for those it's, of you uh, listening right there, that's Stefan's way of telling me don't bother me with emails, Charlie. Look at <laughs> no, it's, you know, I just uh, you know while we're live, let's do it while we're live. Uh, I'm going to be down there with um. No, no, that's that's fine. I I, I make sure that we will get the the schedule posted, but I do want to get down there and see you live because I think that would be I'll buy you a. Oh yeah, it's, it's more than just a speech. Like I'll be there for a couple of days uh, with my family. Family, I, I like sitting down and um, shooting the shite with uh, with people I've met before, people I haven't met before, listeners, and so on. So you know, it'd be a, more of a social event rather than just you know I'll be bunging in to speak. Uh, so I'm going to be down there with uh, Jeff Tucker, I think Wendy McElroy's coming down, a couple other people, and we're going to do speeches and a panel and audience participation and just generally socializing. That's what I like to do when I'm at these kinds of things. So I hope that people will be able to come out. I, I I want to get there myself. How can I support uh, Free Domain Radio? Because I know, unlike uh, this program, which we just sat through the commercial break, you uh, do not run commercials on your program. How can we support uh, the work of Stefan Malanu? Well, um, frozen kidney mailing address. Uh, just one, please, because two feels a bit predatory. Uh, and your own, preferably, uh, unless you find some guy sleeping in the park. Uh, no, it's, uh, you know, you, you're a better man than I when it comes to business sense. I just, I hate being interrupted, so I can't do commercials on my show. Um, but uh, it's, yeah, if people want to go, it's a donation-based model. You can 
you know, sign up for donations. Um, you know, anything is, is, is really appreciated. There's, you know, bonus podcasts and free books and all that for people who donate. Uh, and uh, you can sign up for a monthly thing or just a one-time thing. Or or you can just listen. That's fine, too. Uh, but that's the way it works. It's freedomainradio.com forward slash donate. If you'd like to help out, uh, it's hugely appreciated. All right. Let's, let's get on to the topic that I know you want to uh, talk about a little bit is this collaboration. Um, why don't you – I'm going to turn you loose because uh, obviously <laughs> – uh, this is a- because you need to pee or you have to have a nap or you want a coffee. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. Go. Just come back when the audience is face planted into the keyboard. When you see in the chat room, just a bunch of random letters, you can tell it's time the size to get of back in. by their spacing. <laughs> well, I think the interesting thing is I always sort of ask myself, why now? You know, why now? Why not last year? Why not next year? And this thing's been cooking around for a while. In fact, um, WikiLeaks, I think, uh, found a, a memo from a Canadian diplomat lamenting when it came to forging uh, a more perfect union between these three <laughs> lumps of coal we call Mexico, America, and um, uh, and uh, Canada. He lamented that uh, they didn't have an interstate commerce clause that they could use, abuse, torture, and <laughs> mutilate in order to expand their powers like they have in the U.S. Right. And um, that, I think, was recently leaked. It was an 06 memo. So they've been working on this for quite some time. The question is why? Why would they want to form this kind of union? And I think about the European Union, and I think about Greece. And the way that I think is that I remember this from the business world. There was sort of an old, an old, uh, and it's a Dilbert cartoon as well, but there was an old idea in the business world that if you've really screwed up, if you've got a lot of skeletons in your closet, if all of your uh, uh, chickens are about to come home to roost and peck out your fiscal eyeballs, then what you want to do is have a merger or reorganize your departments or just, you know, distract everyone with a whole bunch of sound and fury signifying not too much. And, of course, for the countries that were in real trouble, the European Economic Union was manna from heaven. I mean, when Greece lied its way in and cheated its way into the EU um, with the help of Goldman Sachs in the early 90s, they got, you know, a 15 to 17 year run where they got everybody else's great credit rating, so to speak, primarily Germany's, and got to spend themselves into a smoking economic crater. And so, uh, you know, when things are about to really go bad in the North American economies, and by that I include Mexico, they're going to talk merger because that's a way of, of covering up the bodies or pretending that the problems are coming from the merger rather than from prior fiscal policies. I mean, one of the things they're talking about, Barack Obama, after making a tequila joke, ugh, I mean, how <laughs> frat boy ridiculous and retarded can you be? But... Um, uh, he's saying, uh, well, what we need to do, you see, that's not how he talks. What you need to do, see, is we've got to lower our barriers, lower our barriers uh, to trade. And it's like, dude, you already can do that as the president. You can already do that within America. Why don't you allow uh, uh, insurance companies in the healthcare field to actually sell insurance across state lines? That would be a very helpful way of reducing trade problems and trade barriers. But no, it's all about trade barriers between Canada and Mexico. <laughs> That's all they're interested in because uh, it, it, it causes fewer problems with your donator base uh, if you are talking about international trade barriers rather than domestic trade barriers and so on. But yeah, I, th I think that they want to hide the bodies of the incoming fiscal problems with some sort of pseudo-merger. I think they also like to, um, this is something uh, it was uh, talked about by Noam Chomsky, about how, if you remember the JFK thing, a lot of conspiracy theorists got caught up in the JFK thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they spent decades pursuing every little thing. I remember having a history teacher uh, bringing us this Zapruder film and uh, had a guy come in to do a big presentation on on this. And, you know, Oliver Stone got all sucked into this nonsense as well. 
And uh, there was actually a kind of program where they would release little bits of information from the state just when it was dying down. And, and everyone, ah, they will swarm over there. Oh, my God, there's a new piece of information. You see the same thing going on with the 9-11 uh, people. And, of course, it's a huge distraction from what's really going on. It's like the Canadian government talking about eliminating the penny, penny which is about $11 million of a multi-hundred trillion dollar deficit. And, uh, you know, everyone then talks about the penny rather than the big deficit. And so I think that a lot of the conspiracy people are going to be like, ah, union, it's New World Order, it's, you know, Bilderberg 6105 or whatever it is. <laughs> and rather than talking about, you know, the, you know, the, the reality of the welfare warfare state and that doesn't matter whether they merge or not. I mean, just, if they merge, it's not like, what, do we care about which rulers have sovereignty over us? No, I just want less sovereignty over me. So I think that, yeah, they want to merge. They want to uh, hide their their mistakes. Uh, in, they want to distract a lot of people from the real issues. And um, they do find, need to find a way to sustain the war on drugs, right? Because America has big problems. To the north, Canada's not, we're not so keen on the war on drugs. I mean, we've got a very heavy pot culture out west. A lot of hippy-dippies, a lot of people who, you know, fled the draft and all that came up and, and came up with a real kind of left-wing hippie culture up here in the U.S. Thanks for that, by the way. Just really, really <laughs> You're welcome. It. That was, that was uh, unfortunately, there's just not a big enough bungee catapult to <laughs> send these people back. But, uh, and of course, in, in, in Mexico, I mean, all kidding aside, in Mexico, the, the, the country is being shredded by the drug war. I mean, the, the government has, has been found guilty of, of supplying weapons to these, uh, these um, heavy metal lunatics who, who run these drug gangs and, and, I mean, silver or bullets, that's what you face if you've got any position of power authority in Mexico. It's just shredding the entire country. And so the, the Mexico wants the drug war ended. Canada, I mean, without the influence of the U.S., I'm positive we would have legalized marijuana by now. And so America, which has got a huge amount of um, investment and, and public sector dependence on the uh, continuation of the drug war. I mean, the I mean, you've got a president who's admitted to using cocaine. That's right. He's admitted to using cocaine, pretending to be some kind of drug warrior. I uh, mean, that's that's like me going Stephane, out we, to, for a job as a hair model. It's just <laughs> insane. We we supply we you know we Fast and Furious. We supply uh, uh, arms. We we propagate this, and uh, you know th this is the the heart of uh, Michael Sheehan's. Uh, Pro or a proclamation to Congress that they need to have the ability to prosecute uh, these uh, semi-terrorist, semi-narco, semi-organized crime events, and talking about mainly in South America. Uh, so yeah, the, the notion that uh, uh, that the drug war isn't being utilized for to further political uh, uh, political agenda. I mean, you know, the, the drug war is, is a farce, as far as I'm concerned. You know. I do share the beliefs of a lot of libertarians that you know we could solve a lot of problems in this country. I don't know how many millions uh, of people we have in in our prison system right now, more than China and India put together. I know that, and a lot of it's because of ridiculous uh, drug laws. But let me, you know, do you see? I mean, is this the reason the European Union was? If we're if we're looking at the reasons of the creation of the European Union, was this to uh, hide fiscal shenanigans or was this to implement more control? Now we see the end of this. Where, well, why does it have to be one or the other? I mean, <laughs> that's a good point. I will take a little from pile A and a whole lot from steam and pile of caca B. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, point. I think that's a it's a double win for both of them. Yeah, they get more controls, they get additional layers. Governments always want to create bureaucracies because bureaucracies are populated by people who are dependent on governments. You can give jobs and and you can give sinecures and you can give Mandarin positions and uh, executive positions to your friends. Governments need to create 
these layers so that they can reward people who've donated to them. It's not because they want to achieve anything. And of course, if you were to imagine, I mean, imagine just they, they legalize drugs tomorrow, which is exactly what would ha what should happen and never will, because every time they legalize stuff, they just put in more nonsense. But if they did, I mean, you know, what is it? I, I can't even remember what the cost of the war on drugs is. I think directly it's 20 billion, but it goes much higher yeah. than that if you count all of the, the costs. Well, that would be a huge amount of unemployment right there. Massive unemployment because you'd, you know, fire all of these. I don't even know if there are words in Anglo-Saxon <laughs> base enough to describe my feelings towards these drug enforcement agents and the corruption of the police that's resulted. You, know, you have to can all of these people. And then what are you going to do? Well, you don't actually save that much money. That's why it's so hard to cut government. You can't because so, they just go on unemployment. You got to pay for all that. You'll pay for retraining and and some of them, you know, may turn to nefarious schemes and so on. So you can't really save that much money by firing government employees, you've got to buy out, the, you've got to pay off their pensions, you've got to buy out their contracts, you've got to pay them unemployment insurance and retraining. And so it's really, so what's the point? What's the point? And of course, the media is so hysterical about drugs that every bad thing that comes from drug legalization or is perceived to will just be trumpeted as, oh my God, look what happened when blah, 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 right? These drugs were legalized and now uh, this kid uh, found a packet of cocaine in a park and died or whatever. And, and if it had been illegal and I mean, it's not fun being a politician. I don't have a lot of sympathy for them, but I don't know that it's, there's any magic wand to, to shrink all this stuff. Well, certainly the, the collaboration of government between Canada, the United States and Mexico isn't uh, a, a drug issue. I mean, you know, what is the purpose that, that we uh, are trying to join hands as one continent and, and uh, all become one big happy family. I mean, you know, it's going to be sold to the, to the people of Canada and the people of the United States and Mexico as, you know, we're going to tear down these barriers. But there, there's really, you're right, there is no barriers there that can't be uh, overridden right now. I believe... Well, tear down barriers is the easy. You don't have to amalgamate. You don't have to have treaties. Just repeal the laws. Yeah. I mean, you don't need... Like, it's like they, they I think it's the opposite. The North American Free Trade Agreement is 28,000 pages of regulations. It's like, wait a minute. Isn't free trade like I can just go sell stuff and buy stuff and the government won't interfere? Why do you need all of this massive amount of legislation to create freedom? Isn't that sort of the point? It's that exactly your the opposite. Your book should be eight pages long and, and easily comprehensible to everyone with an IQ of for 70 but you know what's going to happen is this we're going to liberalize trade by creating all these regulatory layers and agencies and rules and and it's like you know of course and then what's going to happen is the economy is going to get worse and what are people going to say you see what happens when you liberalize trade when you have free trade the economy just gets and it's like people they don't understand they think that nafta has something to do with free trade and it's mad yeah, it's exactly the opposite. When they, when they promise uh, more freedom and more liberty, and and uh, it's going to be better for the economy, exactly the you can count on exactly the opposite. I I see this as you know the the, the verbiage in it now. I, I'm reading here, uh, you know, the the over the last basically half a decade, they've tried to have a meeting every year where they get these three uh, powerful individuals uh, together and uh, talk about breaking down these barriers. But the language is tra is changing now from not only trade. But uh, making sure that they share the like-mindedness when it comes to border crossing and security. So I start and the military. I mean, there will be Mexican troops in American soil. I I guarantee you. They're they're all gonna they're all want to do these exercises. I mean, I I I'm not a conspiracy guy in that sense, but this is very clear. I mean, I. I knew a guy who was in the military, uh, and he basically said when Canada cut a huge amount of its government spending during the 1990s because we were paying like 40 cents on the dollar just on interest, 
And uh, he said, he said, oh, yeah, you know, we're all training for civil insurrection. We're all training for, for protests and, and riots. I mean, this is all that we're training. We're, I mean, the guns are all pointing inwards because that's what they're expecting from the tax livestock when they cut off the, uh, the, the, the statist uh, fiat currency fire hose teat, right? <laughs> and so uh, they, get, they get that this is completely unsustainable, that you have a massive cohort of pretty ill people heading into a very expensive state-driven medical system that there's no no money in the social security fund that there's no money to cover um the unemployment insurance that the wars can't be cut that i mean they're really they're backed into a corner and like even the most cowardly rat when backed into a corner will leap at your throat and so they do need they're all concerned about civil inter insurrection and you know i don't think it's a good thing to do because you can't win but i can certainly understand that they would be right to be concerned about that kind of stuff but the point the point that you made earlier about you you collaborate then when it all comes crashing down around you you can blame the weakest member the european union they could you know we can blame greece uh for sucking off the uh, uh the success of germany and some of the northern european countries we could use the same argument here where we we collaborate and then when it all goes to hell in a handbasket and we do have a cutting off of the uh, social safety nets, and we have people riding in the streets because the 22 million households that are receiving $272 a month are no longer getting them because it's not politically expedient. We can blame Mexico because we've just, you know, we've lowered these borders and we've lowered uh, the standards, and now we can have, uh, you know, this free trade back and forth. But it all went bad because we have Mexico to blame for. They're running over here using up our our uh, resources when, in fact. The fact is, we're heading there anyway. I mean, we're completely unsustainable on the path we're on. 310 million people in this country, you know, with, with nearly 50 million of them receiving aid in order to put food on their table, and countless millions who become non-persons in, in adjusting uh, participation rates and employment. We are heading to this massive civil unrest, a massive, massive pushback, regardless if we collaborate or not. But it sure would be handy to say, well, you know, we were doing just fine until Obama did this or tell, you know, whatever team members up next did this. And we became great partners in uh, the North American Union. Well, and the, the leaders, uh, uh, you know, they study this kind of stuff, I mean, obsessively. And this is this is their job, right? I mean, they figure out, well, what is going to cause this kind of civil insurrection? And fundamentally, there's only one thing that causes civil insurrection, and that's a lack of access to food. I mean, this is what happened in Egypt. They just, I mean, the price of wheat doubled, which when you're on a dollar a day means you don't have enough to eat. And I do, I do believe, and I sort of became, yeah, been keeping track of of this myself. I mean, food prices are nutty. Yeah. I mean, food food prices are just nutty, and I I think that it's not going to be long before people are are having trouble, like significant trouble, uh, even with government assistance, they're have, going to have significant trouble getting food on the table. I mean, the the amount of of uh, um, poor is is really exploding uh, in in the West uh, and. Um, uh, the the problems with the food supply uh, system are just so unbelievably great. I mean, it's been so heavily socialized and really, really communized. Uh, we've got this, you know, there's a we've got this vague remnants of a free market with these massive edifices of of communism, which of course we spent forty million lives fighting fascism, communism, thus necessarily, of course, importing them into our own hearts. 
And so, yeah, you got the educational system is entirely communist, um, uh, and you have the um, the the uh, food supply system and the, the the farming system here in Canada. It's a quota system. It's a license system. It's a there's a a wheat board that sets the price of. Wheat. I mean, it's it's completely insane. Yeah. I mean, you, if you tried running computers like that, we'd all still be on Vic twenties. <laughs> and so you've got these weird edifices, and and of course the fact that that the food supply has been so socialized and, and healthcare has been so socialized means that you know when people don't have enough to eat, they tend to get pretty restless very quickly. And when the young run out of opportunities, and in Spain, the youth unemployment is over 50%, and that's true for many countries across the European Union, people without a future, uh, and, and when food prices start to rise to the point where people are having significant problems, they will start to demand change in a very irresistible way. And the, you know, the tiny pinprick of people at the top will be revealed as very, very few people relative to everyone else. And once people see that, real change can become possible. Well, and, and you're, you're hundred percent correct. I mean, this country is, you know, half a dozen meals away from mm -hmm. complete and total, uh, anarchy. I mean, if it gets to the point and, and you're right, I mean, we, we pretend we're, we live in this free market. System. Oh, I wish it would complete and total anarchy, but unfortunately it will be complete heavily propagandist reactions <laughs> uh, in entirely the wrong direction. Well, I, I, I I gotta, if only it were true anarchy, that would be great. <laughs> I got to fix my words more wisely. Uh, but I mean, it, the fact of the matter is when it gets to that point and, and it is trending down the amount of of uh, dispensation coming out of Washington, D.C. to these 47 million people on food stamp, this number is falling. And the, the nationalist drum is being beat very hard here. Uh, we see this in, in the GOP uh, run-up uh, to the election silly season where it's a personal responsibility. Of course, they want to say this, but they don't truly believe this. Uh, we don't have free markets in this country. If we did, the food that I would go buy tonight at my grocery store would not travel 1,500 miles to get there and be subsidized along the way. So we, we are just an event from going from seemingly normal on the surface, seemingly normal to the people who are plugged into the mainstream, to being, you're right, Arab Spring. Call it American Spring, North American Spring. It, and it isn't going to come for a color revolution or a want of a purple finger. It's going to become come because we can't put food on our table and we will certainly most certainly need a boogeyman or a scapegoat and it could be this north american union it could be the next uh, collaboration between iran or something or, right but but the reality is normally what countries do in this situation is they go to war right 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 i mean if if you have if you can't feed your population then you you do what every farmer does with the livestock that he can't feed is you slaughter them for meat and you slaughter them uh, for the profit of the warmongers and the military-industrial complex, but I don't think that's really an option anymore. This is what's so fascinating, is that all throughout history, when you get the end results of increased statism, uh, you get, I mean, it's it's always the same damn pattern, right? Mm -hmm. You get um, a welfare state, you get um, the government control of, of healthcare, you go back to the Roman age, it's the same thing. Uh, you start to, you get inflation, you get massive debt, uh, and then sooner or later, you, you end up with significant inflation and you end up with a population that's uh, under-reproducing, right? It's not doesn't have a replacement reproduction because intelligent human beings do not breed very well in captivity. And I'll finish that when we come back from the break. Nope, that's it. We're done. <laughs> that was oh, that done. was the hour segment. Okay, then then yeah. Normally you go to war, but we can't go to war in North America. America's got war exhaustion. Canada and Europe are, are not interested in war, and Mexico doesn't have the capacity. So what's going to happen? Well, hopefully freedom. Well, I hope so too. I, I think we might be looking at a position where these guns, this. Um Oh, do we lose you? And that's it for Wide Awake News with Charlie McGrath. Check it out on the web and freedomainradio.com as well.